Welcome to The Machine, everybody. I am your host, Mario, along with my co-hosts, Jeff Rowe and Lee. Journey with us into conspiracy theories and the unexplained. Hello and welcome back, everybody. We're going to continue our discussion into Hollow Earth. Uh, We're going to pick up from where we left off the last episode here. There's much more to go over, but I just want to let everybody know before we go further into this episode that theory is just theory. It's just that, okay? So when we're talking about theory, we talk about all kinds of different theories and in and out and everything. You don't necessarily have to agree with these things. And uh, maybe you find a little bit of truth in them. Maybe you don't. That's the um, that's the intriguing thing about conspiracy theories is that you may find tidbits of information that may hold truth and some that may be very, very elaborated. But without further ado, let's continue the Hollow Earth discussion. So this this man so i'm just I, okay i'm gonna you, you threw me you threw, crazy, you threw you threw me off there man <laughs> it's, it's, it, well i'm gonna throw you a crazier one here down too okay okay so let's let's theorize and let's say that that this is the case okay and like we've said through the past previous episodes you know um i've posted recently on our facebook website how many children go missing Every year, according to the FBI. Now, that's according to the Federal Bureau of Investigation. These are documented children, right? Okay. So the theory goes like this. 460,000 in the U.S. alone, annually, on average, every year, documented children. There have been claims of reptilian-like beings who are able to shapeshift that are using these children as quote-unquote food because of their secretions. Hove, England, 2008. In the middle of the night, 20-year-old Charmaine de Rosario Sage is sleeping in bed when she awakens to a frightening sight, a reptilian humanoid staring down at her. I woke up, a reptilian came into the room. We went to an underground cave. There was a group of reptilians there and they stood around me in a circle. Each one of them put one hand on my body and I slowly changed. And it was the most amazing, but also sort of bizarre situation to to look down at your body and see it morph from your human form into a reptilian form to see the skin shift from being smooth into scales and to find that i had a tail could charmaine's incredible story be true was she really transformed into a reptilian human hybrid charmaine claims she learned from her abductors that all humans today are byproducts of alien genetic manipulation, some more than others. At certain points in our history, different ET races have come to this planet and they have not manipulated all of humanity, but certain groups. The reason and agenda for alien intelligences to be on this planet 
manipulating humans and animals is because there are wars out there between different types of intelligences about territory. And that those territorial wars involve populations of created and manipulated life. If reptilian extraterrestrials have inhabited Earth for thousands of years, are they content to continue hiding out underground? Or is the day fast approaching where they will step out of the shadows and announce their presence once again? Christians are waiting for the return of Jesus. The Jews are waiting for the return of the Messiah. The Islamic community is waiting for the return of Muhammad. The idea of this return did not originate with any of those religious figures, but it in fact originated with the promise by extraterrestrials that they would return in the future. Tradition tells us that the army of the Messiah is not to come from heaven, but is to arise from inner earth and therefore dominate the surface world. Perhaps we are now at this special turning point in, in our history and the timeline of planet earth where the reptilians and the other extraterrestrials will announce themselves. Okay. The adrenochrome is what the you're referencing. Yes. This was mentioned also by Phil Snyder in one of his one of his speeches the, where, where he was talking to the people about, you know, the the idea, uh, what do I want to say? The agenda of of these beings. And then mm. it's our military, certain certain aspects of the military, you know, especially CIA that are involved with these beings in underground underground tunnels underground cities oh, are we talking about underground again the alien agenda is the complete takeover of this planet the killing off of five six to seven eighths of the world's population by the year 2029 u.s military has known about this for 45 years they've told no one as far as I know, I'm the only person standing before a crowd talking about the alien agenda, secretively. Okay. They, back in 1954, I'll give you a quick overview. There was the created 1954 treaty where Eisenhower signed a pact with the known alien species of the time. There were three at the time. And said that we're going to deal in high technology, but you can take a few head of cattle and a few human beings and you can experiment on them. It's unthinkable. It's stuffed straight out of the Nazi death camps, and I'm kidding you not, it's plain BS, and it's got to stop. Now, the Great in 1954 Treaty would have been violated. After, after the great firefight, the alien-human war, I am the only living survivor talking about it worldwide at all. Only one. The other two are in nursing homes in Canada, and the Canadian government refuses to allow any U.S. people, including myself, to talk to them. 
because they are afraid of kidnap. Probably the reason I got shot to pieces and 11 attempts on my life is I am a direct threat to the entire system. The New World Order, the alien agenda is one in the same. It's world takeover and the decimation of the population of this planet. Now I'm going to tell you something a little bit different about the alien species. The bad news ones, there are nine races of alien populations. To look at a human being as a bag of food. They're not cannibals. They don't eat the flesh and the bones and all that kind of stuff. They use the glandular secretions of animals and human beings as a mixture of the vitamins for their food. They get high off of our adrenal gland substances called adrenal chrome. It's, a, it's something like uh, cocaine to them. Now, what can we do about it? We Right now, if we do nothing, we can do nothing about it, and it will continue to go on. Basically, we'll be led in the dark, and you'll keep seeing more and more people disappear. Right now, there's 100,000 children totally unaccountable through FBI archives, cannot be traced anywhere. They haven't been murdered. Nobody's ever seen them. I think they're hauled underneath in some of these bases, and they are summarily done away with, and they are literally eaten. Now, that is a scary thing indeed. Some, and I'm not asking you to believe me in total. I am asking you to seriously do enough homework that you can go out in through the public record, through the congressional records, find out who's voting for what, and go from there. Do your own program. Do your own agenda. And do your own speaking out. And if enough of us do this, there is some saving grace. This was the first clue that he had that aliens have been here living in the Earth for probably millions of years. When we think about being invaded by aliens, forget it. They're already here and they have been here. They've been a part of our life since the beginning. To me, the number was like 21 people originally went down. He Again, they're blasting holes and suddenly they discover that there's a cavern already there. So they go down and explore what's going on there. And they find um, lizard aliens, dracos is what he would call them. So they're big, tall, reptilian looking. Yeah, they der derive one of their happy drugs from us. So when they frighten us and we get the adrenaline going, yeah, um, that's like a drug to them. But then they eat our blood. Really? Yeah, they eat it. Yeah, they want our blood and they they eat our body parts. There was this Is big giant bat. Well, it sounded like the reptilian ones specifically were doing this. And the greys helped them get people. So the greys help abduct people, usually children. You know, there's a million children that disappear every day, I mean every year in the United States. A million every year. 
what's unseen, you know, whenever you you get hide in the shadows, uh, there's a great, great video. Uh, if people are interested, it's an artistic type video uh, from, I believe, a European producer. It's called In the Shadows or Out of the Shadows, I believe it's called. It may be um, yeah, if people are interested shadows. out of the shadows. It's it's fascinating. It's a fascinating little um, video. It's about what uh, I think it's 13 minutes long. Exactly. Interesting. Um, but yeah, check that out, people, if, if you want to be tripped out. <laughs> Yeah, I and mean, like I said, it's it's a crazy theory, but it's not something that was just recently, you know, thrown out there by what a lot of people believe is the QAnon movement. You know, everybody says, "Oh, this mm. whole adrenochrome thing came about with with QAnon." No, well, not no, really. Well, listen, I, I'm I'm not a huge subscriber to QAnon, Me but I think they have enough probable information and this is where we get into the conspiracy theory right this is where the wheat is separated from the shaft they give us enough information to make us curious and enough truth but then they do they do the the uh, plausible deniability or the uh, uh what's the word i'm looking for they take truth and they add such extreme falsehood right. that whenever you tried they muddy the water when you try to go ahead and cross-reference this material or mention this material you're you're ascribed a nut because you're like oh well i heard this this and this and there's a nugget of truth in there but they want to throw out disinformation just enough disinformation to ruin your credibility so whenever you speak again in a public format all of a sudden you're labeled a tinfoil hat guy but right. you know, along these conspiracies, let me let me bring this to everybody's attention regarding the Hollow Earth. Uh, have you ever heard of the author Brooks Agnet? Rings a bell, but I'm a little okay. Um, I recently referenced some information and in a documentary that he did, um, and he's a scientist, uh, a physicist, and he brought to my attention something. That I did not know. In 2006, did you know that NOAA, the N-O-A-A, and the UMETSAT, which is the European version of NOAA, and NOAA, if people aren't aware, is an organization north um, – I don't even know what the acronym is, but it's along with the Weather Channel, and they, they send out like hurricane warnings and things like this, right? Um, they're like a weather sort of uh, observation amongst other things. Right, so um, – so, yeah, I, I quickly looked up this NOAA. Uh, what it stands for is the National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration. Um, and to give some gravitas to Brooks Agnew, um, is, he's a Ph.D. and he has a, he's an honorary graduate in chemistry from Tennessee Technological University. So uh, that, that's where I got some of this information from. And uh, he, he brought to my attention, and this is a known fact, that in 2006 – both NOAA and UMETSAT, which is E-U-M-E-T-S-A-T, they passed an international law called the Data Denial Act. Now, I was unaware of this, but this Data Denial Act, and this goes to suppression of information, which we were previously discussing, that anything above the 60th parallel, it's illegal to post it or share any real-time information 
in the polls. Huh. So no data imaging above the 60th parallel. So this uh, this seems to be uh, referencing the North Pole is live. Everything that's on the internet, anything that's on Google Earth is an animation of previous information. And the reason for this, because with the visible eye, with satellites, it's very difficult to see things at the poles, north or south, because of the cloud cover, because of the condensation from, from the cold air and the cold masses, right? So right. You're, you're rarely ever going to – you may sometimes see it, but you're rarely going to see clear views. So, um, Well, I mean, you look what they – it's, like it's you hard. Said, look what they did to Fitbit. I mean – Right. Right. Exactly. Um, but you can see anomalies with infrared cameras. And it's illegal to have that type of technology in the north. And, and they they made the claim that the reason why this this uh, data denial act was implemented was because of the fear of real time data that could be used to feed into cruise missiles and and visualize data for combat. So that was the reason why they 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 created this sort of. Uh, this this act so i, I you know th this goes to something that it, this is an act is out there it's called the data denial act implemented in 2006 that was introduced by noah and umitsat so if anybody out there is interested in that it, it's a real thing which is just as crazy as the ndaa the national defense uh act uh, after 2001 so anybody out there who thinks it's a true free information and there's no sort of denial or suppression of information you know this goes all the way back to what you're talking about with the catholic church and everything else we're not told everything as a public absolutely no we're, we're more so we're more so lied to and stifled upon information and told uh, it's for our own good right we're indoctrinated to think a certain way we are not and we we find this out over and over again when we find out the things that we're taught even in uh the public education system. And a lot of people are going to disagree with me on this. And I'll, I'll say it even now today it, it, to me is a joke. Um, it really is. It, and I don't mean that uh, on a personal level to educators. I mean that on a level to who is paying the educators and the, well, we are, again, are we, well, we're supposed to be with our tax dollars. Our tax so, dollars again, pay for things way. to keep them moving, but the curriculum yeah. that is pushed is not from the taxpayer. Right. Exactly. Uh, yeah. It it seems like an exercise in futility whenever you try to look up this information, and it seems constant that uh, you find yourself being disappointed um, by those who we trust with power. And you know what? I, I will say this for people who find this information. The first thing, and even for myself for a while there was a sigh of almost depression. Like, you know, like really like, wow, hard to believe that any of this could possibly be true or untrue or some of the things that you were told, you know, like I said, you will find that not so true. I start to look at it in a different light. I start to look at it as, okay, this is good that I'm learning about these other things because they weren't taught to me before. Right. Well, you know, 
elaborating elaborating a little bit with this Brooks Agnew character, uh, he also came up with some very interesting things regarding the uh, Earth and its shape and whatnot. Um, one of the things that he pointed out was um, for the longest period of time in our history, uh, oceanic travels were were sort of closely knit to the the shore you know very rarely did ships sort of leave the shoreline and then as they started venturing out further and further into the ocean they started going with multiple ships as to try to to have safety in numbers right and throughout maritime history that was that was edmund haley's uh that that was his reason for for trying to figure out uh, the, the shift in the poles or when he f- figured out the shift in the poles because you know back then navigation was n- almost non-existent and they were losing right. ships well speaking to losing ships this is sort of something that he has actually talked about with naval officers um i don't know if you've ever heard of this phenomenon i had not but people out there who are familiar with um maritime travel might be um there are these things in the planet that are called oceanic depressions. Have you ever heard of that? A good way to describe it would be this. If the planet was made of a clay model, if you were to take your thumb and imprint your thumb into the clay and create an aperture or, or uh, divot. a divot, well, all throughout maritime history, these ships would go out in these groups and they would be traveling with the same heading using the same direction with the sextant again, good old sextant coming in here again. And at times they would realize that one of the ships in the convoy would be missing for a few days and then suddenly reappear almost as if it went into one of these depressions. Um, and, and another way to describe it would be like a, a golf ball with one of the dimples in the surface, as if the surface wasn't exactly perfect. You know, there would be peaks and valleys within right. the floor of the ocean floor. And then maybe gravity is a little bit stronger in these areas to which it actually, you know, pulls down. causes the, yeah, causes these depressions, not dramatic, but I mean, you know, maybe a few feet undulating here or there. And, and we know, if you listen to the current science, they do claim that the, the mantle is malleable and, and with the centrifugal force or motion of the planet itself going around its axis, again, it bulges and undulates and, you know, it, it contracts and tracks or contracts and whatever, the, you know, retracts. Right. Um, so there, there is a possibility that, you know, you have these anomalies, these gravitational anomalies, right? Um, so, you know, because of this, there, there's some indication that there might actually be a rotational internal rotational gravitational force. Uh, I know I'm using those words maybe improperly that counteract that, which would also lend proof to the creations of these rogue waves that science is recently encountering and proving that are real. So. It's interesting, some of the information that has been coming out that sort of maybe lends its idea to, you know, Leonard Euer's idea of, of possible multiple, you know, um, internal Earth rotational forces. 
of, of multiple spheres, which is what, you know, Edmund Haley talked about right. with the inner sphere and, and the deep sphere. So, I mean, that was an interesting point that he brought up. I don't know. And, and something else we, we know about the Aurora Borealis, right? We're talking about the poles. We're talking about the North Pole. We're talking about the South Pole, right? These areas of the planet are where the planet rotates, right? At the exact point that it rotates. And it has, you know, the Earth itself has a precession of the equinox. So it kind of rotates on a, like a skewer, if you would think of a skewer going through the planet. And the skewer also rotates on a 25,000, I think it was a 25,920 year cycle, which one day we'll get to. Um, but with that being the case, with the planet rotating like that, you have these gravitational forces at the poles. And that's one of the reasons we get these electromagnetic light shows, the, the auroras, you know, the aurora borealis and the Antarctic bor- yeah, yeah. borealis. Okay. Now, several years back, there was a device. Um, he didn't reference the exact device, but there's, there was a spatial measuring instrument that was taking photos of the planet pointing back towards planet Earth. And one of the things that they noticed they couldn't explain was the Borealis was showing both in the Northern Hemisphere and the Southern Hemisphere, which is should not happen because the, the Borealises are created, created through cosmic winds from the sun interacting with the outer atmosphere or the ionosphere. Or so we think. Okay, right. So in the Northern Hemisphere, uh, from what I understand, it should be during the summer months you should or in during that push pull of night day you know i don't know if it's summer months maybe it's fall or 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 spring but either way what they were saying was there there shouldn't be a borealis in both hemispheres and that fascinated scientists and they were trying to figure out what was going on and they're like how would there be a borealis affecting in this in the southern hemisphere when it's at the time of the photo, I guess was supposed to only be in the northern hemisphere, unless there was a internal source. So, right, yeah. So you're seeing what I, you yeah. see where I'm going. They're thinking maybe there's an ejectile from this creation of this maybe this torsion field. So since, see now you see where we're kind of circling back, and maybe there's this uh, internal ejecta of solar energy coming from maybe what would be an internal sun that was causing the borealis this, uh, the borealis to appear when it shouldn't have been appearing um, through big enough openings both in the northern and southern poles right so you know uh what they claimed was it was uh, and, and obviously, science comes back with with information. Um, they they sent out some satellites, and uh, unfortunately, some of the satellites uh, malfunctioned, and they came back into the atmosphere. And they said that it inter- those satellites interacted with the atmosphere, and they noticed the same interaction again with the borealis. Right. So they believed it was cosmic rays or cosmic bullets was the interaction between the borealis but here's the thing there's no way just a little satellite would activate a borealis because 
if that's the case, there's ejecta from cosmic uh, uh, material like, you know, uh, asteroids and comets all the time coming into our solar system. Why don't any of those cause a borealis whenever it interacts with that ionosphere? But all of a sudden, a little satellite is going to create that. That that was the explanation. So I, that explanation doesn't make sense to me, but that's what the claim is. So the whole idea of maybe a torsion field, of the electromagnetic magnetosphere or the electromagnetic field around the planet, that makes a little bit more sense, doesn't it? So I don't know. That just throw that out there. You know, it's it's, it's inter- interesting nonetheless. It's funny how when we stumble upon these things and in the scientific community stumbles upon these things and they get so far. And then all of a sudden when they're about to make a breakthrough, something happens. Well, it's interesting you say that because uh, this Agnew character was really into the inner earth. He has some, uh, what they call faction. They're, they're books based off of some fact, but really they're fiction with fictional characters. Um, he's also an explorer himself. He, and he was supposed to go onto a polar excursion to the North Pole because there was something that was going on in, in 2008. There was a small window where the, the northern passage, the northwest passage opened up, and there was a, a huge break off of, of an ice sheet. And they had, a, they had a small window of being able to possibly get into an area of the North Pole that they never had access to, and they had like a two-year window. Well, they they tried to create, uh, you know, get a group of scientists and and get a Russian icebreaker and get all this money put together and, and try to go up there. But then the 2008 housing crisis uh, crash of the economy happened, and anything that any chance that they had of possibly going and doing that was just immediately squashed there was also something else that happened in 2008 that they found correlating to this possible uh, excursion they wanted to do up there uh it's interesting in 2008 in the winter of 2008 uh something happened in malaysia something very strange happened in malaysia now in malaysia there's huge populations of stingrays and manta rays and other uh soft skeleton sharks and whatnot. Uh, and, and scientists go there every so many years to monitor these populations because apparently these particular animals, they are very sensitive to the environment and they mutate at a very quick rate. Um, so every so many years they go and they, they take DNA samples and, and study these different species that are in and around the area. And normally they only find about 20 to 25 different species that are either like a mutation or, or something new that they haven't necessarily seen. Um, but that year, 2008, when that Northwest Passage opened up, they found 1,500 new species of these manta rays and stingrays and even some sharks and, and squid. Matter of fact, some weren't even mutations. Some were of the extinct version or what we believed to that point were extinct versions like the frilled shark and the dorsal uh, dorsal squid. Okay. So some scientists were like, 
where in the world did these new species come from? Were, were they hiding somewhere? Were they landlocked somewhere? Were they, you know, and this, this goes to some of the, the mysteries of, of current science and, and, you know, sort of the Darwinian or Darwinian idea of how can a species just appear out of nowhere? Some more fringe scientists speculated that maybe by this ice melting in this Northwest Passage opening up, maybe it allowed – now, I, I don't know if, if I, I prescribed to this, but they, they claim maybe it allowed some species to escape maybe an inner chamber. Yeah. yeah, an inner chamber. So people – you know, when you hear that, you're like, okay, that's crazy. Like, there, there's no way that's that's possible, right? But let me postulate this. The scientists during this time were trying to figure out what was going on. And they, they said there had to be some other explanation, right? Had to be some other evidence of something going on, where, where these animals came from. So they went to seismologists, seismologists, you know, scientists that study earthquakes, right? And there was this uh, Dr. Weiss session at Washington University that is stationed in St. Louis. His department went through 600,000 seismographs, and that's a lot of information, and most people don't usually analyze that large num sum of numbers or, or data. But because they went and took the time and went through these seismographs, it basically became – a version of an MRI for the planet. And do you know what they found? Okay. I'm, I'm listening. In, Tell me. In 2008, they found an ocean underneath the Atlantic Ocean. They found a whole new reservoir. Just like, have you ever heard of the Ogallala Reservoir out west in the western United States? For those, there, there's, a, there's a huge chasm of aquifers of water called the Ogallala aquifers that is subterranean fresh water from all up into Wyoming and Colorado all the way down into Texas. And actually there's some concerns that this water source has been overused for irrigation and water purposes. It's actually being drained at a significant rate, but this is where most people out West get their fresh water from, but no, they found another ocean not only was this ocean found, but there's as much water they're finding on the inside of the planet as there is liquid flowing water as there is on the outside of the planet. One has to ask, um, so I'm, I'm reading this, this article here real quick. Uh, this is from Discovery Channel Science. There may be a massive ocean beneath the Earth's surface. August 1st, 2019, uh, the, uh, and it, it goes through this whole – and there's no way I'm going to read this. This is an extremely long article. But they're saying that there are <laughs> extreme amounts of oce oceanic-type water, fresh water at that, underneath all this salt water. If the idea of the planet being a magma core, would that not – burn off any liquid water well they've not actually if separation right not if there's separation exactly not only that I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna learn you guys something else 
after two independent intellectual sources, and, and I couldn't find these sources, but they have measured the core spectrographically in recent years. And guess what they have found? That the core of this planet is actually a solid iron crystal. Okay. Okay. That burns at 6,000 degrees. All right, everybody, remember. Pretty hot. Yeah, but more interesting. Remember the number six. Remember the number six, everybody? Divine number? One of the divine holy numbers? Okay. Interesting that it's 6,000 degrees, right? But what's more interesting is this. If it's a solid iron core, and if it's 6,000 degrees, at that temperature, it would be putting off a white light. And that white light would be a frequency at which photosynthesis could possibly generate vegetation sure on the interior of the core now it's not fusion like our sun on the short wavelengths but it is still emanating wavelengths that could you know illuminate energy and be an energy source a, a type of energy source that life plant life could develop from and it's interesting that we're talking about crystals again sorry side note Maybe keep that in the back of everybody's mind. Again, this stuff, as I said back into the water podcast, everybody, if you stay with us long enough, you guys, along with Mario and I, are going to find that a lot of this stuff is going to start popping up in places that you never even expected. So, I mean... I mean, really? I mean, think about that. That's that's absolutely crazy. So, yeah, we're, well, we I don't mean, have quite enough information, right? But there's enough information that if, right. if you keep an open mind, you're wondering to yourself, hmm, interesting. Well, to even help you keep an open mind further for those people who are religious out there, I take you to the Job passage, 1-7, and the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down it. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I, I, I'll tell you what. I, I even bring another historical fact in if, 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 if you would let me. Um, let me ask you. Have you ever heard of... The uh, Green Children of Woolpit. Green Children of Woolpit. Yeah. And, and I, I, I promise everybody out there that I'll, I'll bring this around, but this is something that's pretty interesting. Have you ever heard of that, that uh, story? I don't believe I have. Okay. I'm going to read this real quick if you let me. Okay. Yeah. So the Green Children of Woolpit. The legend of the Green Children of Woolpit concerns two children of unusual skin color who reportedly appeared in the village of Woolpit in Suffolk, England, sometime in the 12th century, 12th century, perhaps during the reign of King Stephen. The children, brother and sister, were of generally normal appearance, except for the green color of their skin. They spoke in an unknown language, 
and would only eat raw broad beans. Eventually, they learned to eat other food and lost their green color. But the boy became sickly and died soon after he and his sister were baptized. The girl adjusted to her new life, but she was considered to be rather loose and wanton in her conduct. Not exactly sure what wanton means. After she learned to speak English, the girl explained that she and her brother had come from St. Martin's Land, a subterranean world inhabited by green people. Okay, so uh, and, and then the story is uh, crystallized a little bit, it, it, you know, a little bit more detail. Um, one day at harvest time, according to William of Newburgh, who was somebody that recorded this incident uh, during the reign of King Stephen, circa 1135 to 1154, again, 12th century. The villagers of Woolpit discovered two children, a brother and a sister, beside one of the wolf pits that gave the village its name. Their skin was green. They spoke an unknown language, and their clothing was unfamiliar. Ralph reports that the children were taken to the home of Richard de Calnay. Ralph and William agree that the pair refused all food for several days until they came across some raw broad beans, which they consumed eagerly. The children gradually adapted to normal food and in time lost their green color. The boy, who appeared to be younger of the two, became sickly and died shortly after he and his sister were baptized. So... That is a little bit of repeat of information. But after learning to speak English, the children, Ralph says, just a surviving girl, explained that they came from a land where the sun never shone and the light was like twilight. William says the children called their home St. Martin's Land. Ralph adds, and I guess these are the two different uh, sources, English sources, uh, authors, Ralph and William, um, adds that everything there was green. According to William, the children were unable to account for their arrival in Woolpit. They had been herding their father's cattle when they heard a loud noise. According to William, in William's account, the bells of Bury St. Edmunds could have been the sound that they were hearing and suddenly found themselves by the wolf pit where they were found. Ralph, the other author, says that they had become lost when they followed the cattle into a cave. And after being guided by the sounds of the bells, eventually emerged into our land. And then according to Ralph, again, again, Ralph and William being two different sources, authors of this story, the girl was employed for many years as a servant in Richard Day County's household, where she was considered to be a very wanton and impudent girl. William says that she eventually married a man from Kingsland, about 40 miles away from Woolpit where she was still living shortly before he wrote the story of his account. Based on his research into Richard Day County's family history, the astronomer and written writer Duncan Lunan has concluded that the girl was given the name Agnes and that she married a royal officer named Richard Barre. So this is a somewhat documented event. So I'm sure listeners out there are asking Jeffrey, why are you bring up this this story? Well, I find it interesting that the story the 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 two it was a male and female, right, boy and girl. Mm-hmm. They come from another world, quote unquote world, right? Right. And they're green in color. They're green in color, and I think that's the most important thing. So let me go ahead and. Uh, 
bring everybody up to date if you guys don't understand where I'm going with this. So what was it that we just shared a few minutes ago? The idea of a possible energy source on the inner Earth possibly being some sort of white light energy source with an iron crystal as the core that would be enough energy for the possibility of photosynthesis, right? Photosynthesis being the making of the green light, right? Or, or making a plant life, right? Green. Right. right. Okay. Now, I was interested and I was like, okay, Jeffro, you're going to do it again. And I was like, yep, I'm going to do it again. So green skin, one of the names for green skin, you know, medically is called hypochromatic chromic anemia, which commonly was known as chlorosis, chlorophyll, right, is one potential cause of the green skin. Now, listen to this. This condition results in the red blood cells lacking the normal level of hemoglobin that normally gives them their red color. Consequently, people with hypochromic anemia sometimes exhibit a green pallor to their skin. Other symptoms of the condition can include shortness of breath, headaches, and a lack of appetite. While potential causes include B6 deficiencies, low iron absorption, and certain types of infections. Hemoglobin is the chemical responsible for carrying iron in the blood. If you're a species or a humanoid that develops where you have radiation coming from an iron sun, your body won't need to create the same amount of iron. Your body won't need that B6 like we would on the outer surface. So essentially, I heard that story. I heard the story of the iron core. And I'm like, does this connect? Then I found this medical condition describing losing appetite, B6 deficiency, cells lacking the normal levels of hemoglobin, which again, carries iron in the blood. You don't need it if you're constantly radiated. If that's the radiation source of your energy from your sun that, that you developed under, right? And it also is a description of low iron absorption. Causes green skin. Now, my friend, I'm not saying, I'm just saying. Certainly makes sense. It's not something that you can, well, it's not something you should just completely dismiss because like I said, it makes sense. Is, is, um, is there, is there a connection? Well, certainly is a connection. Come on. Chemically and biologically speaking. Yeah. How, how do you not see a connection there? And that's, and that's what I'm saying. Like, you come across this information and, and, you know, I, I do my Jeffrey thing and for whatever reason, a completely innocuous story about the green children pop in my head. As soon as I hear about an iron crystal core, that could be 
a possible energy source for something that might be something like an inner earth. So, so, you know, I, I don't know if we're nearing the end of this, but what do you think of the probability of an inner earth or some sort of existence of, of a, of a intelligent species on the inside? I'll say this and I'll tell you this. The reason, one of the reasons why we've only drilled about eight miles into believe, the ground, I believe it's eight miles. Yeah. Yeah. And on document for drilling that far down is because it got so hot and right yeah they stopped drilling about eight miles down i mean you take that into an account you take uh the intriguing wonder of the antarctic into account and the nazis so driven to the wonders right right admiral bird cannot be dismissed well, I, I, I do want to make, make one mention on Admiral Bird um, in, in the podcast that you and I talked about with time travel. I don't know if ever, anybody uh, had listened to that prior to listening to this podcast, but maybe go back and give it a listen. But do you remember my hypothesis that possibly time isn't linear and it's actually in the form of either a hypnotic spiral or maybe even something along the lines of a Fibonacci sequence? Right. Okay. And the possibility of something like time travel being a, a real thing, right? You know, going all the way back to uh, Dr. Ronald Mallet's work with centrifugal motion of a vortex. Well, let me ask you if a planet is spinning on its axis, where would be the exact point? Of a vortex right at the poles. Yeah. Right. Okay. So if you're following me here, what was one of the things that Dr. Bird actually claims in his diary? He claims uh, his magnetic compasses and his gyroscope start going crazy. So we have magnetic and gravitational anomalies. Something hmm. like what we were talking about with the coffee cup and centrifugal motion around a possible black hole. And that would also bring. Which we would... were talking about with the Higgs boson. Right. Right. The, right. But so I here we go. Remember when they were, we were talking about the Nazis and Nazis being down in Antarctica. Remember the Nazis right. were developing a quote unquote type of time machine. The Nazi bell. Right. The Nazi bell, right. And again, something along the ideas of the bell in the story of the green children, almost as if there is a frequency connection. Okay. And why would there be a frequency? What would be a natural frequency in the poles? Well, I don't know if anybody has ever heard of ice shifting, but ice creates these really deep, low frequencies whenever it moves. Okay. Uh, there's even some audio on the online. It talks about, you know, um, Antarctic singing ice shells or things like that. So oh, you that's have, interesting. You know what? If, so you if, have. If I can find that, I'm going to I'm going to play a clip of it right here. If I can find that, that'll be interesting to hear.
Okay, so there you go with that. So now we have gravitational anomalies. We have electromagnetic anomalies. We have frequency anomalies. And we're at a vortex in the planet. All the, all the symptoms that Ronald, Dr. Ronald Mallet talked about. Okay. Now, not only that, but if we're talking about the ideas going back several podcasts about a holographic Earth or a simulation theory, remember some of the numbers that I discussed with the water podcast, some of the sacred numbers, some of the holy numbers, some of the, the, the specific numbers in numerology. We're talking three, six, nine, twelve. The inverse of 12, which is 21 and 42. So you got the Holy Trinity. Okay. You got the God frequency of 369. You got nine, the amount of times the water is mentioned in Genesis. You got 12, which is the actual uh, molecular makeup of water itself, one hydrogen, two oxygen. You have the inverse of that almost being the as above, so below, or the image of God, or the reflection of God, right. which is 21. 21 is a number that's is found a lot of places similar to the 21 gram experiment with the possible weight of the soul. And then 42, 42 being the exact angle that you see a rainbow. And it's also all throughout our religious text. The angle of the pyramids angle of the pyramids. So when was Admiral Byrd's first excursion into not to, mention, not to mention the secret of life, the secrets of life, right? Deep thoughts. We want you to tell us the answer. The answer to what? The answer to life, the universe, everything. We'd really like an answer. Something simple. Hmm, you have to think about that. Return to this place in exactly seven and a half million years. Is it finished? Oh, no, there's more. There's more. They go back. What, seven and a half million years later? That's right. They do. Deep thoughts. Do you have an answer for you? Yes, but you're not going to like it. All right. The answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything is... Forty-two. The year the animal bird went into the North Pole. 1926, right? Okay. 1-9. And then you go into sacred numerology, they like to reduce numbers down to a single digit. You keep adding the numbers together until you get a single digit. 1 plus 9 is 10. Plus 2 is 12. Plus 6 is 18. 1 plus 8 is 9. Then you go to the flight log. February 19th, 1947. 
February 2, 19th, 2 plus 1 is 3, 3 plus 9 is 12. Okay, 1947. So 12 plus 1 is 13. 13 plus 9 is 22. 22 plus 4 is 26. Oh, wait, I got I missed that. 9, 1947, 1 plus 9 plus 4 plus 7 is 21. Right? February 19th, 19 plus 2 is 21. So 21 and 21 is 42. Not to mention that Roswell, as we ceremoniously found, happened in 1947. Again, 1 plus 9 plus 4 plus 7, 21. Okay. Now, remember what time the green children of Woolpit just so happily appeared? 12th century. Why do I bring up all these dates? Not to mention that the core has been proven scientifically through the seismology and, and the spectrogram, right? Two independent, two independent sources have found out that the core spectrographically was determined to have a 6,000 degree core. 6,000? Six, six? Okay, why am I saying all this? If the hypothesis of the fact that we can travel planes and travel time, not through physically, but through a Fibonacci sequence. If you were to take a pencil, okay? If you were to take a pencil and you would put it on the top of the globe, like if you have a globe at home, and you spin that globe, just through natural vibration, your pen is gonna move slightly, right? And what you're gonna end up doing as the earth is spinning, you're gonna create a spiral. Because you're going to slide down the side of the globe, right? Right. And at different times in space, almost like space wrinkles or time wrinkles, wrinkles in time, you're going to have different plot points. And it seems as though these plot points, if you go into the northern region or the southern region, because remember, Operation High Jump again as well was 1947. A numerical value of 21. It seems as though you might have access not only to an inner earth, but maybe a parallel dimension. Because Dr. Bird, Admiral Bird, talked about a woolly mammoth, a possible woolly mammoth. So who's to say that he went into the inner earth? Maybe he time traveled. And the reason why he was able to time travel was because. He was at the right place at the right time, and he got caught in a wrinkle or led there maybe because he found himself at a numerical value in time on one of those plot points of either of the spiral graph or the Fibonacci sequence where he was able to traverse from one of the points in time to another point in time. And the reason why he was able to do that, Mario, possibly, is because he was in an area that had a vortex with gravitational anomalies, frequency anomalies, and magnetic anomalies. Just Jeffro being Jeffro.
absolutely is a possibility. Absolutely is a possibility. And the same thing with these children. I mean, it's, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm making something out of nothing. Maybe, maybe I'm just super crazy. But the other thing is very interesting. I don't know if we have many fans out there. And I'm, I'm sure there are. Um, the Fringe series, the, the Fox television series, they talked about crossing dimensional planes. And when crossing dimensional planes, where was it that the Walter character wanted to cross into the other plane? At Reed and Lake, because he needed a water source to absorb the, the frequencies and, and, and the power of crossing over into the planes. And it just so happens that Dr. Bird had both of these anomalous instances in the North Pole with this, with this diary and in the South Pole with whatever it was that attacked the, the convoy. So in those areas, it would be easier to traverse into these different planes because of the large quantities of water that could absorb the radiation when transmuting in between different planes, just like in the French series. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. I don't know. It's possible, I mean, right? I mean, it's very well possible. Right? Why, why couldn't it be? Why not? I mean, there's enough mythology, religion, religious text. There's enough anecdotal text. There's enough um, firsthand accounts. Um, th there's enough. There's enough there to question. There's enough. <laughs> there's enough there to question. There's and and I, my whole speculation was just. You know, that is, is all it was with speculation. But I see sometimes I get a little bit crazy and I, I see connections that maybe are there, but maybe aren't. And I don't know. I just, you know, I wanted to bring it to the listeners. You know, that's not my theory on it. Uh, I don't know. An interesting theory it is, might I add, uh, definitely, <laughs> definitely one that entertains. And I don't think I stand by myself on that. I think a lot of our listeners will as well. Um, however, uh, I think we've got enough here to keep them, <laughs> you know, just postulated for enough time till the next episode. So, yeah. um, you know, let us know what you think. We're going to, we're going to upload some information onto the website onto, uh, you know, we, we, we throw little tidbits out here on the Facebook group page from time to time. Um, again, we want to know your opinion. So we, we'd like to know where your thoughts stand. So on that, yeah, note, let us know if I need to self-admit myself into a uh, psychiatric ward. <laughs> Well, if you do, I'm not far behind you there, buddy. <laughs> uh, on that note, uh, we will see you next time, next episode. Not really sure what we're going to cover next episode. Uh, we will we will talk about it, and we will not disappoint. We'll do our best not to disappoint. So until then. <laughs> until then. <laughs> <laughs>